you are listening to the Josh Trains Me podcast. So I kind of want to share a little bit about how how we kind of got introduced, which was pretty much barely introduced. I met your your partner at your company 3GX at the stand at the Kelowna, which was Spartan Spartan uh, event North American Championships. And uh, I got acquainted with your company a little bit and and really liked it and thought it was super cool. And the reason I didn't meet you is because you were racing. And I think you ended up getting you ended up getting podium on that, right? Or was it third or fourth? Uh, was it the beast or was it the super? Um, it was the beast. Yeah, we had finished the beast, I think. Wait, okay. forget which day it was. You raced both days? Yeah, I raced both days. So normally um, I... I like to race both days just because the first day, um, honestly, it's more of a feel type of day for me. And I mean, I still give my all and everything, but the next day feels so much better for me. I think it's just because it's shorter distance. The, mm. the, um, the course is actually, I noticed it like it's reckon not recognizable. Um, what's the word, uh, familiar. Yes. That's the yeah. word I'm looking for familiar. Yeah. So it's a little bit different, but, um, for the beast, it was the North American championship. So that's why I decided to raise it. Cause, um, I was, uh, doing the national series for the age group, uh, because this is my first year racing. I don't know if you right. actually, uh, yeah, yeah, this is my first year. So I didn't really know what my capabilities were just yet. I uh, played competitive basketball in college. So I knew I had at least the edge to try to be elite, but I didn't know exactly where to go from yet. And plus they also have the qualification. Um, yeah, you have to qualify now for sure. So that's right. why I also went into the age group from there. So I ran the beast and I got uh, first in my age group. So technically I won um the 25 to 29 age group for the North American championship. And then I decided to run elite for the super and I have no clue how I pulled this off, but I got fourth for that one. Okay. That's what I'm talking about. That's freaking dope. eh? That is great. (laughs) So you're talking about kind of coming in without a whole lot of maybe like understanding and expectation. Cause it's like not, it's, it's a little bit new to you and you pull off a first and fourth in two different kind of, uh, two different types of races, two different distances, and then also two different heats, we could call them, right? Elite yeah. and then age. Um, what do you think you'll do? Like, what's your kind of plan moving forward? With um, with the business and also with my racing, I, I kind of want to bundle them together just because uh, I was an athlete my whole entire life. And that was something whenever I graduated basketball um, in college, I was a little lost on what to do. So I started getting into the CrossFit community. And I think I did that from, I think, 2016 to honestly, when the pandemic happened. So I had a couple of years of CrossFit under my belt. I was really PRing on some stuff. I was, I had like 20, 30 more pounds of muscle on me, man. Like it was ridiculous how uh, big my shoulders were and stuff. But then when the pandemic happened, um, my husband was talking a lot about these endurance type of races and he was really into something like that. And he took me trail running for the very first time. And I, I, yeah. I was saying every word under the sun because I'm like, <laughs> what are these roots and this and yeah. that? Like I was so thrown off because basketball is such a controlled environment. What yeah. makes it uncontrollable is the opponents where the right. environment this time around was the opposite. So uh, from there it was definitely a learning experience from there. And then um, when the pandemic happened, it was just kind of like, let's kind of 
360 is let's completely change from going from that power athlete into the yeah. endurance athlete. So I do have a year under my belt. Actually, the very first race I've ever ran, um, I guess competitively was the OCR world championships, which is coming up in two weeks. I don't know if you cool. know that. Uh, I don't know that, but I do know Ian Adamson. Ian Adamson. Okay. Um, I know that I mean, if you're from Can Canada, this is a United States. Uh, no, actually, it's usually in Europe too. Is I, it? I keep forgetting. Yeah, it it changes every year. It's a it's a race where everybody that qualifies from different races, you get invited to this race. But like I said, when the pandemic happened, I was like, yeah. wait, they're uplifting all these rules. Let's get in. Let's try to run this race and just do the hardest race that we could actually imagine. So we decided to run the race. And um, did you, you ended up running the super at uh, British Columbia, correct? Uh, I did the beast. I didn't do the super. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But how, um, when it comes to the, spartan races i feel like the terrain is where it is more challenging than the obstacles just because right. i was that strength athlete for a while and um when it comes to this ocr world champ kind of race it's a bit i don't want to say it's the complete opposite because you're still running um a mountain at least this one's in vermont it's on stratton mountain so at least the terrain on that one is pretty gnarly i know right. in the years past it's been like more of a speed kind of course they kind of change it up but the obstacles man like if you don't have grip strength and you're not like you haven't practiced that you're not yeah. getting through the like you're not getting through the course because i'll let you know right now my first time uh which was about a year ago i took seven hours on that course right on the vermont yeah. course that was your first one um, on Stratton Mountain, yeah, it's you have to complete all of the obstacles to keep moving forward. Okay. So I got stuck on two obstacles, which was at the very, very end. I took an hour on Canyon, which a lot of people got stopped on that one. And then I got complete, like, I think because I used all my energy on Ca Canyon, I made it through one more obstacle. And then I got to Urban Sky, which Urban Sky is kind of a moving parts obstacle i see it mm. more being ninja warrior than like ocr you know like it's okay. it's almost to that level so i just took way too long in there the course closed and you know i had to call yeah. it a day after that yeah <laughs> so they 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 didn't have penalty loops or burpees they had you just have to finish the uh, you have to finish the obstacle that that would be different yeah yeah, I think either you get one band or two band. Uh, I can't really remember, but one is your timing chip and one is your like um, completing obstacles one, I believe. And then if you can't complete that one obstacle, I believe you lose that band. I might be getting another venue um, mixed up with that. But I know if you can't get through the obstacle, like, yeah, you, you're not allowed to continue forward. And that's where the uh, like the the race becomes really interesting to me, because in my opinion, it's more of an obstacle course race compared to trails with obstacles you know what right, I mean? right right yeah well let's let's dive into this a little bit more because i'm really interested about kind of how you started the company 3gx you're wearing the shirt right now that's a great shirt by the way and thank uh you, and, and, and kind of like why you got into this because that's always a that's always the interesting story like you know your companies you know we'll find out that it's it's a super cool company i know a little bit about it but why you chose to go down this route because it's a you're in a sport performance kind of mental mindset niche right yeah yeah so yeah how did you get into it and why did you start it 
So whenever I went to college to play basketball and, of course, get my degree, I uh, got my degree in psychology and I was playing basketball the whole time and trying to figure out what I wanted to really specialize in. And then from there, I kind of decided I wanted to do marriage and family therapy. But when I went to um, my first class where it was very strict on marriage and family therapy, we had to do this. Uh, <laughs> it was a what's it called? Like a it's a scene back and forth. I don't know why I'm not remembering the name mm. for it, but I remember being in that scene, pretending like I'm the therapist talking to this family that was broken. And I was just so petrified. Like I didn't know what to do. I didn't understand what was going on. And I realized that like, this wasn't really the best fit for me. I still love psychology, but I just didn't know what to do with it from there. Mm. So that's where I kind of did some soul searching and I was trying to figure out different, um, I guess, fields and specialty when it comes to psychology. So whenever um, I was talking to my coach, trying to figure stuff out, she actually told me about sports psychology and I was like wow this is like right down my field I played sports my whole entire life one of the big things when it comes to sports psychology is injury uh, recovery and I am the most injured person I know honestly are you other than... <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah I um uh, I tore um my left and right ACL I had back surgery before I was 19 and I actually have Crohn's disease as well yeah so cool. a a lot of internal stuff happened to me while I was in high school. And I'm I'm not gonna lie, my high school like career was a little bit back and forth. I I was trying to just be myself and all these injuries were really preventing me from doing stuff. And I could tell I was not depressed, but getting there and not really wanting to be myself anymore. And I, that's where I think it really started to spike, but I didn't know it yet until like I went through college and more happened to me, like enough, two surgeries happened to me and college is difficult, you know, like there's a lot of different moving parts where a coach, you can get upset with a coach for no apparent reason, but you know, it's still a coach telling you what to do. And it's a mental yeah. thing right there. And then you're working with um, a team and there's so many elements of like, you could have a great practice, but right when you get into that locker room, mm -hmm. anybody that bashes coach, like you just instantly start to get down. So like, it's a definitely a more of a, a mental thing than a physical thing. Cause like, I think my team was great. Like we could have been really, really well, but sometimes those mental aspects really uh, put us down um, mm. like the shooter, I guess, because yeah. like, our one best athlete, sometimes when she got something in her head, like the whole entire team just kind of plummeted because of it. So like right. that's where it really spiked from there. And um, that's why I decided to go get my master's degree in sports psychology, injury prevention and performance enhancement. And actually right after I graduated, I started um, actually being a personal trainer actually. So I was a yep. personal trainer from 2016 to I think 2020. Yeah. The pandemic really stopped everything for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It really Lots did. Of people. Yeah. So from there, um, while I was working at a couple of gyms, finishing up my master's degree, I actually had to do a platform for my um, end of year project for my master's degree. And I just had to make a gym basically. And I got my certification for um, performance enhancement specialist. Cool. So I was like, you know what? I'll make a gym. Like, it's just, you know, it's pretend it's just a project, but I was making this and I called it guns and gains gym. And oh, um, that's 
Yeah. And that's where I was like, oh, cool. Like I can play off of my last name. So if anybody knows my last name is Grippy, I am married now. So it's Grippy Hibernated Snyder, but still uh, my nickname is Grip. So like everyone knows me from that. That's super cool. Yeah, it's just, you know how it is. If you played yeah, played in sports or like if yeah. you're just in the sports world, everyone has a nickname. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So from there, from there, I um, was still trying to figure out the platform. And then when the pandemic hit, um, my uh, my company actually was a three uh, tier platform where it was supposed to be personal training, nutrition and mindset because I... I know how people are a little like iffy about mental health and wanting to like do self-help. So I was like, you know what? I will do personal training and then I will kind of like, Hey, I also do nutrition and I also do mindset and hopefully I was going to get clients that way. And then, like I said, when the pandemic happened, nobody wanted to work out anymore. No one wanted to see you in person anymore. It was just starting to become more draining than exciting for me at that Mm -hmm. point. So then that's when I was like, you know what, I'm going to call the company 3GX because it used to be the 3G experience because it was grip guns and gains. Now it's just 3GX because I wanted to focus on mental uh, performance training because that's, I mean, I I studied it. uh, That was my main focus the whole time. The whole personal training was just trying to figure out if that was really what I wanted to do. Because trust me, I loved it. I really, really did love it. Yeah. The timing. I think if the pandemic didn't happen, I feel like I would be doing it a little bit more. But I, I am very happy with you know how the pandemic helped me figure out which direction I really wanted to go with it. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and I can I can personally relate to that story. Um, in that COVID made it. Uh, you know, there's a lot of opportunities that came out of it for sure. But I found that personal training got really taxing during that the the two-year segment and um yeah it's just a just a lot more stress and kind of got political and you know when when it wasn't before that so it was a total just added weight that uh we didn't necessarily want on so i can i can relate to that oh yeah okay i want to zoom out a little bit now because now you've been you've gone from basketball you mentioned at the college level you did crossfit for i think four years you mentioned and you've been into OCR obstacle course racing, specifically Spartan, or you you mentioned OCR as well. So some different would, things there. Yeah, I guess mainly Spartans. They're just all over the world, so they are yeah. a lot easier to just oh we're we're here. Let's do a Spartan, and um, I like to do Savage races as well. They are mainly on the East Coast, so I did a couple in uh, Florida and Georgia in the beginning of the year. But then after that, um, I was traveling and everything. So we can talk about that later with the whole traveling thing. Yeah. But, um, that's why I wasn't doing so many savages just because like I was on the West coast for so long that there was more Spartans over there than the savages. So I really like the savages as well. Um, the other races I heard about like, you know, Indian mud run and, uh, I know what battle frog, I think they just closed their doors. I haven't got to do any Mm. of those races, but once again, they're just such small venues that they're not all over the world. So it's a little bit more challenging. So Spartans, I will say, yes, they are the most, um, I usually race, but I just like OCR races. So I will try anything that I'm able to try. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. They are the most accessible, right? They're seem to be in most countries. I mean, you're in the States. Where are you? Where do you live, by the way? Where's your kind of home base? Because you're traveling a lot right now, right? 
But where's yeah. your where's yeah. your home base? Uh, I was born and raised in Pittsburgh, PA. So just a, like 20, 30 minutes away from the city of Pittsburgh South. So um, usually when I say Pennsylvania, everyone thinks I'm from Philly, but um, oh, okay. usually I, yeah, I'm more of the Ohioan, uh, West Virginia kind of person, not the gotcha. aggressive North, uh, North New Jersey, New Yorker. You know? <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. And you have to specify that, eh? So people know. So, well, especially for people like me who aren't from there, so, oh, I'm like, okay, I need to know the difference between that. Yeah. Well, if you know the state of Pennsylvania, it's, I would say kind of, it's long, you know, it's a rectangle. So right. Pittsburgh is all the way on the West side where Philly is more on the East coast. So yeah. like, I'm not kidding you very, very close to New Jersey and New York. So that's why uh, when I say I'm from Pennsylvania, you're like, Oh, are you from Philly? I'm like, no, I'm from Pittsburgh. <laughs> and they're like, okay, you people are aggressive. And I'm just like, I know, I know we, we hear it all the time. So like, that's why I do have to specify. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. And what, in what ways are you aggressive? Like, or like, yeah. How does that come up? How do you notice that? Um, well, so if you ever been to New Jersey and New York, it's just, it's a lot of people in a very, very small area. So I think it's just everyone is just trying to live their life and people are just in their way. So like, let right. me give you an example. Yeah. Um, my brother just moved to New Jersey actually. And my husband and I helped him move in <laughs> and we were just trying to park. I'm not kidding. You were backing up in this spot and I'm standing in the spot and somebody is trying to like run me over to get <laughs> in this spot. And I say, no, get out of here. So they roll down their windows and start just bashing me. I'm like, I'm the bad guy right here. <laughs> yeah. So like, I understand why people are so aggressive because instantly I became aggressive and I'm not even from there. I was like, oh yeah. my God, this is yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me of uh do you watch Seinfeld? I have, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I don't know that it, I think there is an episode about a parking spot or maybe even a couple that just took me back to that exactly. Just a bunch of people losing it over a parking spot. Um okay yeah. I, I get what you're I get what you're saying, I think. Yeah. The only the I'm only time I've been in New York is Bear Mountain for a for a Spartan race um okay. like six years ago. So I, I'm new to this. I love I love hearing the difference between the west and east side of Pennsylvania. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely it's definitely different. Like like I said, since I've been traveling so much, you do get a big like culture change on everything even from like plane rides like i remember i i came in um from minnesota and just listening to people's like accents and what they're talking about compared to when you go to atlanta because atlanta georgia is the same way it's very packed i don't want to say people are aggressive it's just it's a lot down there so when yeah. you go on the plane ride like they know that a lot of people are there because it's the biggest international um i think airport in the world and you're packed in like this like sardines i'm not kidding you and there's kids screaming and there's people running around but when i was on the minnesota plane i was so relaxed there was only two seats i had room i'm just like uh, it really depends on the state where you fly and travel depending on like the aggressiveness and how nice people are you know like i'm sure yeah. that you get it um uh, you know even where you're at you get it yeah. in different spots but totally. if you're not traveling yeah if you're not traveling all over the world then you don't get it until like holy crap it smacks you in the face maybe at a spartan race or something yeah totally you know what like have you been to canada much like obviously we were interacting in Kelowna in bc but have you been there much 
So when I was younger, I believe I went to Niagara Falls, but it, in my Classic. opinion, Niagara Falls is very Americanized just because everybody from America goes there and they're like, oh, I've been to Canada. I'm like, have you really been to Canada? Because <laughs> honestly, when I went to British Columbia, it was amazing. Like I loved it there. There was so much scenery. It was just yeah. beautiful there. It was just different, you know, because like, it's not like, um, it's not like people are aggressive there, but most people are still from America. So am I really getting the Canadian like experience kind of, but not really, you know, cause you're not really communicating with the people where when I was at British Columbia, everybody was Canadian. It was just really cool to get the different perspective of the culture. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. And I will find even from moving um, from kind of being, I, I'm from Ontario, like around Toronto, not Toronto, but around Toronto. Okay. And uh, there's a huge difference between that and anywhere on the West Coast, like vibe, feel, the amount of people, what people are talking about, exactly all the things you're talking about. There's a there's a pretty big culture shift. Mm-hmm. And to give you an example, like the East, I find the coastal East Coast of Canada and West Coast of Canada. So anywhere on BC and then like Nova Scotia area. It's like people are just so much more calm. And I didn't realize that until I experienced both that there's a thing called island time. Have yeah. you heard of this? Like, and I was like, oh, yeah. like that's not just a, a not just an excuse for being late. Like that's a yeah. real thing. Okay. Yeah. Totally yeah. a thing. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I want to kind of dive into there's all sorts of things I want to ask you. Do you, uh, I want to talk to you about your business a little bit more. So 3GX, you talked about it being mindset. You talked about it being nutrition and training. Are you, is this something that you're doing while you're on the road? Cause you're in kind of in the midst of a travel segment right now. Is that right? Yeah. So all my work, like I said, during the pandemic, it, it just 360 to everything. I wanted to do this in person and I couldn't get anybody to do it in person. It, it was mind blowing to like, I wanted to get more of the one-on-one type of feel. When I started doing more of my, my mindset training, it was through the, like through a phone from a different company. And I didn't really like that just because I'm, I didn't feel like I had that full connection with somebody, but nowadays just with the pandemic, everyone's like, can we just do a zoom call? Like I'm, I'm scared. I have too much time. I mean, I don't have enough time to make it to your place so i just made it virtual and honestly it's been really working well just because like you said i've been traveling all this time and i'm meeting people in british columbia and they're able to be my clients i was just in vermont they can be my clients you know it it can be from west coast east coast it doesn't matter i'm able to talk to anybody at any time as long as they have zoom you know like that's something where i just say hey I'll, i'll give you an email we can um communicate from here and then depending on your schedule, my schedule will make something uh, um, work for both of us. And then from there, we just pop on a Zoom call. We have our session and then I just schedule with them next time. And we kind of go from there. And uh, it's been really easy because I normally know what my race schedule is. So if I have a, like I worked this weekend, I had a tent up just like you saw me at British Columbia. So yeah. I know someone wanted to work with me on Saturday and I said, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be gone all weekend. Is there a different time we can do it? And that's okay. You know, like yeah. they didn't have any uh, questions asked about it. They just said, all right, well, we'll just do it at a different time where yeah. if I was in person, like 
that person actually was from British Columbia, you know, like I would have to fly there again, which I don't, I don't think you want to know how long it took me to get there. (laughs) Actually, I do tell me. (laughs) Um, So it was an hour and a half flight from Pennsylvania to Atlanta, Georgia. And then from there was a five hour uh, flight from Atlanta, Georgia to Seattle. Then we spent, I think, two-ish hours in the car driving up to, I can't remember what the town is called, Palazbo, Palazbo, something along those lines. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> my, my my husband's uh, friend just moved there, so we decided to stay with him for a night, and then yeah. it took us about seven hours to finally get to our hotel for the British Columbia race. Um so that was, I mean, it was a long time, but it was manageable, yeah. but I don't know if you knew on the way home, did you leave Monday morning by chance? Um, when did we leave Monday morning? No, we left, uh, we left Sunday afternoon. What happened Monday morning? A semi, a log semi caught on fire. Oh. <laughs> yeah. it, it was so bad that they had to completely shut down the whole entire road. And everybody was trying to be on this little tiny two lane road. So my husband and I were like, you know what, we'll just take a massive detour, but we'll take this road. I, once again, I don't know the roads. I, yeah. I was, I was just recovering from the races. So I was just kind of, you know, in the passenger seat, paying attention, but not really. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, anyways, we drive about 30, 40 minutes the other way to try to get to the, the road that we needed. And there was construction and we were curious if we could just pass and there he's like there is absolutely no road it's not even finished yet so we had a backtrack again another hour to make it to where the semi was on fire again to drive another i don't know how many hours we were in the car for 12 hours when it should have only been for six. Oh, bummer eh? <laughs> yeah so you're very lucky for leaving on sunday yeah i'm lucky i uh didn't race yeah. yeah, that's a big reason. That's uh, yeah. Well, there's where the mindset comes in, right? Exactly. Yeah. So what kind of, what's kind of your ideal client and what are some of the, what are some of the main problems that you help people? Um, I'm not sure if you like the word fix, but work with. Okay. Um, so the typical client I like to work with is honestly the client that has already made the choice that they want to do this. that's something that's really challenging where I'll get people that are dancing around the idea and you can tell that they really haven't made the choice that they want to make a change in their life. So they, like you said, um, the word fix, people assume that I'm going to fix them and Mm. that's not my job. I help guide them through these certain things and we communicate together to try to figure out what their niche is and um, I'm sure you've heard a bunch of the buzzwords of you know confidence uh, mental toughness motivation like those are just the yeah the big buzzwords there Um, but something that I really noticed with Spartan Spartan there's so many people that are there for different reasons. And I think that's why I like working those venues so much because I get people coming to me where they used to tell me that they had an addiction at one point in time and they decided to replace that addiction with their racing because they wanted to make a life lifestyle change or somebody that decided that you know what i'm tired about being this weight so i want to lose this weight and so like it's the lifestyle change that i think spartan kind of gets these people off the couch and my goal is to keep them off the couch because 
a lot of people, um, I follow a lot of those Spartan Facebook pages and you'll get a lot of people that have come on like, Hey, I haven't been on here for three years. I was doing really good. I lost X amount of pounds and then I fell off the bandwagon. I'm trying to get back in and they're looking for that support. And I want to make sure that that doesn't keep doing that yo-yo dieting or that, that yeah. roller coaster kind of lifestyle where this is, yeah, like that's kind of what I'm trying to help make sure that doesn't keep happening when it comes to mental training it's all about prevention it's not like hey i'm just going to give you some advice and you're going to use it and hope for the best that's mm. just you know that's just coaching right there where you, you know like you can give the advice i still do that because the platform that i try to do is consulting counseling and coaching all three because um i'm not a licensed counselor or anything like that. Um, I decided not to go that route. Mm -hmm. I'm actually working towards, it's called a, a certified mental performance consultant, a CMPC. It is through the association of applied sports psychology. And that's because a lot of people that think that their mindset coaches keep trying to do this type of work. And it's like, if you just, if you just believe you can do anything like right. Where, where's the theory where where is the communication like you can't just give somebody some type of phrase and hope that they use it one day whenever they're feeling down like there is so much more behind the scenes than that yeah that makes a ton of sense and that that sounds like a cert i think i would really be interested in taking um because yeah. as, as you know too being a trainer it's difficult because being a trainer is a little bit like being a hairstylist and i'll wrap this around because it's nothing to do with hair at all yeah. but I, my uh, sister-in-law is a hairstylist and you basically, you're basically as, almost, it's assumed you're in a, in a therapy, a therapist role. People just tell you everything without necessarily asking, or sometimes you do, but you're kind of left with a lot of information to kind of process. And if it's beyond your scope, which a lot of the time, a lot of the things are, yeah. um, you can be left. I know for me, so I statements, I have to just sort of dismiss some of that or say like, Hey, or recommend other, other professionals to them. But, you know, you do end up getting dumped with kind of like the full smorgasbord of people's lives and like maybe yeah. all the issues they might be facing, which is great in a lot of ways, but yeah, there's a lot of responsibility in that or they, there can be. So I think that's great. You're looking to, uh, to even level up, even though you're even at a, a pretty, pretty high status as it seems like right now. Yeah, it's something where um, I, I get a lot of people, like I said, that are trying to be these mindset coaches because maybe they took some life coach certification and they think that they know everything. And I'm not going to lie, even after my master's degree, I had so much more to learn. Like yeah. I, I I learned so much on paper, but I wasn't doing any physical work where I'm consulting clients and actually doing the hands-on type of stuff. So when it came to the certification, um, I that's where I was really, um, my interest peaked because I had to do this mentorship and I actually just kind of finished my mentorship. I have a, a call with my mentor tomorrow, actually, to kind of get my application running. And I, I think I'm going to start taking my test within, um, whenever they approve my application, I'll, I'll take the test from there, but still like, that's something where, um, 
honestly, I felt like a lot of people didn't trust me for a while. And that might've been just my stigma on it. But I also noticed there's a lot of people that try to give me advice and I understand it. But if they just said that to the normal Joe Schmo, they don't really understand um, the concept behind it. Because one of the things that Spartan always talks about is suffering every single day. And um, I'm sure that you know what that means. And suffering doesn't mean that you have to be in physical pain, but sometimes you have to do stuff that you don't necessarily want to do because everybody that's successful had to, you know, get dumped on or had to do this or that they didn't really want to, but look where they are now, you know, like that's something that a lot of people get into that comfort zone and they just want to stay in there and like, you know, cuddle their little teddy teddy bear and just hope somebody is going to swoop in and give them these big opportunities. We are our own fate. You know, if we're not making moves, then we're going to just be the couch potato forever. Just why, like, sometimes you hear those people on those, um, those uh, Facebook groups, you know, like they're trying to make it work and they really want to, they have the best intentions. I just want to make sure that they keep with those intentions because life gets difficult. You know, like, like I said, it's an up and down roller coaster. We can't control what's going out around us, but what we, um, how we respond to it is what is the really important thing. And that, uh, that concept of suffering, is that something that you apply to your own life? A little bit. Um, I guess whenever I'm trying to explain to somebody what I like, why I made that decision, it's like, um, which way do you want to suffer? You know, it's um, let me try to give an example. So here, I guess I'll just start talking about my RV life because that's the thing that I I notice I'm suffering in such a different way for most people. Um, So I'm, I'm a full-time RVer now. I live in a fifth wheel. I'm actually in my bedroom right now and my door is closed and my husband's having his own meetings over there. Uh, We can't really hear each other. That's why we decided to get such a big rig. But one of the things that we uh, noticed is like, this thing is not a piece of cake. You just don't walk into it and just live the camping type of life. There's a lot of different things that and elements that we have to do with it because it's an RV. It breaks all the time. Like you have to maintain certain things. Like it's just, it's a lot of work, but I don't have to cut grass anymore. I don't have to clean a whole house in a whole day. I don't have to do all these unnecessary things that I thought were unvaluable to me, but I had to get done because I had the picket fence type of house. And, you know, like I rather suffer where my roof is falling off and a squirrel came in our RV one day compared to having to cut grass for like for two hours and just have mindless you know, mindless thoughts of like, why am I doing this? I don't really care about cutting grass, but I'm out here being able to be in areas that I actually want to explore. And that's a big thing too. When it came to my sanity of wanting to be motivated, I noticed I'm like, I don't want to go run that neighborhood again. I don't want to go do this again. I I don't want to go to the gym because I've been to that gym so many times where when I'm traveling all the time, I'm, I'm going to all these places. I'm like, Oh, cool. I can go hike that mountain today. Oh, I've never been to this gym before. I'm going to go there. And I will suffer a lot more while I'm traveling just because it's new, fresh and exciting for me. Where when I was doing the same thing every single day, it was getting so stale that I decided to like throw everything to the curb and I was watching TV more than anything. I, I don't, I don't watch TV anymore. Like, the TV we have sucks and it's just, it's annoying to like pop up and sometimes you don't have internet or uh, or cable. And it's just like, you know, it's, I rather go outside anyways. I, I traveled this far 
why am I not exploring the town? Right. The, the concept that came up uh, for me in that is the, the state of flow. And I, I was really curious as a mindset uh, performance specialist, um, how, how does flow, I guess, what's your relationship like with it? Because number one, I've heard certain coaches or certain professionals be sort of disregarded as like, I'm not really, I'm not really into it or I don't buy into it. And I definitely know some people that are, that study it. I have friends that study it and are, you know, appreciate it and lean into it. So number one, what's your kind of a approach with flow? And uh, I'll ask you a follow-up after that, depending on how you answer. So um, the practice with flow, I feel like uh, with my kind of work, because I'm not a licensed uh, counselor or like a sport, a clinical sports psychologist, most of the theories that I use, like let's say there's 15 theories. I will take like 10% from this theory, 20% from this theory and kind of create my own theory within, within it. Mm. So when it comes to flow state, it's definitely practice, but it's not my main focus. Like I know there are some people um, that practice, you know, um, what's behavioral therapy. You know, mm. that's definitely something that I definitely work with, but it's not my main focus. I'll dabble around it. In, and let's say you're were a client of mine, you're like, I really want to focus on behavioral ther- um, therapy. I will do that more with you, but it's not going to be the only thing that we dabble in. So when it comes to flow state, um, yes, I do. And I can definitely tell when it comes to when I have my normal like regimen, like I'm constantly mm-hmm. doing certain specific things. I do definitely flow a lot better where if I wake up in the morning, I know that I get this done. And whenever I do this, I feel better at with that. I actually can get this done, you know, like the list keeps going on and on. And when you keep that kind of flow state, it's definitely way more beneficial. But like I said, do I practice it all the time? I definitely am not the best at it all the time. Like traveling is traveling is difficult where it's like, Oh, I really need to do this specific training. Like I know that I'm sure when you go into the gym, you might go in and Monday will be leg day. Tuesday will be chest day. And I I kind of go about my day like that as well. But when you travel, it's like, Hey, we're going to be in the car for eight hours, whatever you have that day. Can you really get done? maybe not all of it, but how do you at least keep that flow for whenever you do have the time? So one of the things I like, I noticed even when we were traveling, a simple thing, I would try to keep my body at least moving when it came to that kind of flow. Um, When I took my dog out, I would kind of stretch and kind of go through the certain things that I might have to do um, for my week whenever Monday rolls by. Or when I get back in the car, I actually do a lot of work in the car. I have this whole like lap desk thing that I keep while um, my husband's driving. I'll drive eventually. We'll see if I can pull this big thing. (laughs) (laughs) A little nervous right now. Yeah, yeah. But still like that flow, like if you stop practicing something, you definitely get out of it. Because one thing I was really, really doing a lot of, I was doing a lot of yoga. I was starting to get into the cold therapy and breathing. And then I uh, sprained my ankle and I was trying to get, um, I guess, trying to figure out how much rehab I had to do with it, with all those other things. And I realized when I did yoga, I accidentally let's say got cocky and I sat too far back and I felt kind of a pull and I, that's when I kind of completely stopped. And that's where I feel like the flow state kind of goes away. And that's where 
I don't know what you do. If you could give me some advice on it or kind of like how you keep your flow going, that would be kind of uh, something I'm interested in hearing. So my state of flow. Mm. Well, I guess number one, it's not something I think about too, too much. It's not something I've, I've studied deeply. Um, hmm. You know what? I, I How do I answer that? It's a big question. I think it's different for everybody because like yeah. if I said, when you asked me that question, I, I took it in a bunch of different elements of my life because yeah. as long as you, because I feel like if you have that nine to five Monday through Friday, that's kind of your flow. You know, like, you know, from this time to this time, you have to be focused where, you know, with the traveling life, I was trying to give you, this is my flow for this. This is my flow yeah. for that kind of dabbling in different areas. Yeah. So I'd say. I'd say kind of different things I have and like the, the main components of my life. So I have a, I have a two and a half year old son okay. and I co-parent. So that means when I'm with him, it's just him and me or, you know, other friends or whatever, but we're not raising him together, so to speak. So when, when I'm with him, I'm with him. I'm not trying to work. I'm not trying to do other shit. Um, it just doesn't work. So mm -hmm. Um, and I don't want that to work. I want to be with him when I'm with him. So I kind of have that life, you know, I have like the dad life. And then when I'm training, I'm, I'm alone. So I work mainly from home because I do a lot of online stuff. And then I, I also do stuff in person and I recent there's a lot of change. So I recently found a space that I'm going to be training individuals out of, which is great or small groups. Um, but you know what, the the challenging part is, is because I technically have so much freedom, like being your own boss, right? Yeah. You, it's a, it's a yin yang. It's like, cool, I have, I can kind of do whatever I want. But sometimes when your space, I find when my space is too open, I sometimes I'm not very productive because there's endless possibilities. So one thing that I've heavily leaned on is a habit tracker and I've put in just habits that I'm going to be doing daily, regardless of where I am, what I'm doing, like those are just non-negotiables essentially. Mm -hmm. And then with, with training, I have to fit that around kind of like clients, um, with my son and with my life. So, you know what, that's a challenging question. I'm sort of just in the, I'm in a kind of a new stage with a lot of things. So I'm, I'm, I'm currently just trying to figure out what my flow is. Yeah. You're kind of in the wave right now, you know, like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> which yeah. that's, that's the fun part. You know, it's like, it's challenging to do that, yeah. but it's definitely the finding yourself kind of, um, portion of it. And I, you brought up like the habit tracker and everything. And I do believe that a lot of people have kind of their trackers. I, I have my Garmin to kind of keep my track of um, my performance wise. I also have Strava, but um, I actually just downloaded that Winhof breathing uh, yeah. method. Yeah. I, I actually listened to a couple of your podcasts and I heard one of um, your podcasts talking about the Wim Hof. And, oh yeah. Um, yeah. I, I recently just started getting uh, sports massages because apparently um, I should have been doing them a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he brought that up to me and that's something where like, I know breathing is really important. I do really focus on it, but actually following something I've never really yeah. done. So it's really cool to actually have um, something to follow because my mind does go all over the place. And even though I do this training, it's still very challenging at times to just block out everything and just focus on one thing. And that's one thing that I've noticed with the breathing, at least, um, 
I did one of those chirotherapy and I hate, I hate cold. Like it's, it's oh, cryotherapy. Yeah. 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 I just, I, I would literally, I always say that I, I would love to be a lizard and find a heat rock and just sleep yeah. all day. I'm like one of those kind of people. So yeah. when I was getting ready to go into one of those um, chambers, I really focused on my breathing in that time. And um, my nose hairs were starting to like freeze and I could tell it was really hard to breathe and I couldn't see anything. But once I got out of there, the girl asked me if I was okay. I'm like, actually, yeah. Like I normally would have instantly started shivering, but because I was focusing on my breathing so much, I only started the shiver for the last, like, we'll say 15 to 20 seconds left. And that's something I really noticed. Like when you do get in that kind of flow state, it definitely is like way more beneficial than some people might think. Yeah. I, I'm a huge advocate of or proponent of cold and breathing. I've been doing it for quite a long time in in different ways. So that's part of a flow. I mean, I'm on this habit tracker, cold, daily cold immersion and breath work is on here every day. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things that I find helps a lot. And I learned this through, uh, through a couple guys. Are you familiar with Brian McKenzie? Have you heard that name before? It sounds familiar. I'm better with um, like, if you start explaining what they do, I might yeah. refresh my memory. So he's big or he was big, at least in the CrossFit endurance community. And um, he used to do like, I think he used to be pretty involved in like hundred mile races and that, um, yes. but he, yes, he yeah. Okay. So I took a course from him and a guy named Rob Wilson, who I guess a similar background, but he's more into jujitsu and that. Okay. So they, uh, they taught me something called CO2 tolerance. Have you ever heard of that? I've heard of it. Yes. So this yeah. is like, I just, I just did a, uh, it's not often that I talk to people that are new to it just cause you know, I work with some of the same clients and we've been talking about it for extended time. So I did a, a workshop with a group of men here on Vancouver Island and it was the first time they had all heard of it. So we do a full segment where we test the max exhale. That's what a CO2 tolerance is essentially you test to see how long someone can exhale for. Um, and I have a video on it. You could easily search it. And then based on that, it it's, it's a pretty good, that score becomes a really good indicator of um, kind of where your, it's a snapshot essentially of kind of where your nervous system is sitting, sympathetic or parasympathetic. And it gives a good snapshot of how stressed you might be. So yeah. that, that becomes a really good marker for, okay, what do I need to do? to, you know, get more sympathetic or more parasympathetic? What do I need to do to recover better? What do I need to do to optimize my system? And essentially it's, it gets into the the physiology, which is talking about the bore effect. Um, are you familiar with that? I am not. You lost me on that one. Yeah. So this is, this is, by the way, this is not something I would have known unless I took this course. Cause it's, it's a, um, this scientist essentially found out that the reason we need to breathe. So the reason like you're going to take your next inhale is not necessarily because you need more oxygen. It's because there's a sensitivity to CO2 and you, our bodies, all of our bodies will become more efficient with oxygen when we're more tolerant to CO2. So we need carbon dioxide in our system in order to utilize oxygen. So this is one of the things I've been working with people on. Um, and it's kind of the beauty about breathing is you can easily talk about the principles, whereas mindset obviously is like, there's so many, there's so many variables, right? Mm -hmm. But with breathing, it's essentially getting people to train 
their ability to tolerate CO2, which is really uncomfortable. It can feel like anxiety. It can feel like struggling to breathe. It can feel like, you know, drowning on the extreme end. But as they increase that, their endurance increases. Yeah. So it's an amazing part of how to increase your endurance. I call it how to increase your endurance without training. Yeah. It, certainly you have to train, but yeah. uh, but for an athlete like yourself, it, it could probably boost it could, it could definitely be a, a link to your performance. Well, that 1% better. That's what I always say. Like, even though we're not accomplishing a lot for this day, it's always that 1%. And eventually that 1% will become 2%, 3%. Yeah. You know, like it's definitely a work in progress. And the way you're explaining this is exactly the same way. It's uncomfortable in the beginning, but eventually it gets e- like, I don't want to say easier because I feel like so many people like say that you have enough experience that you've done it long enough that you understand okay this feeling that i have of anxiety is because i'm working on my breathing you know Uh it's not oh my god i have anxiety i don't know what to do and that starts to freak them out and so like there's definitely some mental aspect with the breathing like you're just talking about right now if you see a, a client freaking out um what's something that you might do to kind of help them calm them down um yeah. So, you know what, I generally don't get a lot of clients that uh, struggle too much because it's such a, there's, there's like direct correlated breath work based on their experience or based on their score. So if someone like, here's a real example, if someone scores lower than 20 seconds on a, on a max exhale test, that's a sign that they're likely, I don't, you know, paint this picture. I usually get them to test and then I kind of ask them some questions after about it, but essentially those folks are generally more anxiety prone. They're generally more sympathetic, you know, toned. Um, They might not have the issues waking up in the morning because they're like good to go, but they might have harder times relaxing or calming down or recovering, or maybe their sleep might not be as, might not be as um, qualitative. Um, So the, the big takeaway for people that have a really hard time with like those feelings or those, those thoughts that come up are, you know, just keep practicing breathing through your nose. So nasal breathing is really key. And there's a ton of reasons why that is. But um, some of the reasons why I I suggest nasal breathing is because it will help calm you down. It's more correlated with your diaphragm working. There's nerve innervations that help you stay more calm. So it's essentially like breathe through your nose. That's all they need to know. But there's a whole cascade of things that are happening, obviously, internally. Um. And then, um, I don't know, I kind of look at it as um, just teaching people the principle of like, um, you know, it's okay to be uncomfortable. Like back to your question of, or your yeah. your comment of suffering, it's like, you know, it, it's not necessarily a good or bad thing. It's just, it's its own thing. It's, it's okay to be uncomfortable. Um, let's talk about it, right? Like that, exactly, just yeah. let's not, let's not sweep it under the rug. Let's talk about it. Um, yeah, that's essentially it. I would just say breathe through the nose and let's, let's be mindful and not try to excuse or avoid the things that you're feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen it kind of where anxiety has happened and the breathing gets all crazy. So you have to calm them down by just take the deep breaths to reduce the anxiety. So it seems to be a bit different from what I'm used to. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, what do you think, 
What do you think some of the more common issues are people like clients are coming to you with in terms of mindset? The common ones? Well, when I was working with team sports, they were very, very common, um, like very similar injuries. Uh, maybe they're trying to move to the next level. I get a lot of people when they go from high school to college, just because that level difference is so it's a big leap. Like I, I'm not mm. kidding you. It, it it becomes a full-time job. Even if you're not a D one or D two player, like you're still consuming so much time there. Um, so it's very different for everybody. Like I at first thought like, Oh, it's going to be the same kind of realm. And then I can kind of pick and choose from here, but actually psychology is all the same. And whatever you hear is what you have to kind of alter for, the client um hmm. so the way i go about it um i i do more of the whole spectrum of the person and that's where i've noticed a big difference with what their performance needs because like i'm not kidding you i feel like everyone kind of comes to me and is like i really want more confidence but that's not really what they need there's so right. many other elements coming from that so um i uh, had a client one time he actually wasn't an athlete at all. Um, I don't know if you know about sports psychology. It's, it's performance kind of psychology where you can work with athletes, uh, performing arts, non-recreational kind of sports, uh, military cops, um, anybody that's a CEO or like has a team that they have to manage. It's whatever we're trying to enhance performance wise. And that's mm -hmm. where it's, it's so different for everyone. Because like, if I was only working with team athletes, I, I feel like I could give you like, this is what we typically yeah. work with. But since it's such a large kind of clientele that I have, it is so different that it, it's hard for me to just pick one specific thing. But I will say that whatever the performance that they want to enhance, there is always a deeper, deeper meaning behind it. Like right. that's something that we always kind of realize that we notice from it. And it's not because of that exact moment, that exact moment just kind of crushed you to the point where you feel like you finally needed to ask. I don't want to say ask for help, but um, I guess you finally chose that, you know what, like, I don't know what I'm really um, doing here. Maybe I need to have a specialist kind of help me guide me through mm. it. And that's why, like, I keep not giving you like a specific answer because yeah. it is very different. And yeah. I will say that I try to um, make awareness, like self-awareness, a big factor into my practice, because something that um, I hear a lot of, at least my athletes, when they go from one level to the next and they don't have a coach with them, I don't know what to do. I'm like, well, you've been doing this for how long? 10 something years? Well, yeah, but I, I, I don't know what to do. And I'm like, didn't you go to practice this many times and you had a coach? And it's because it's their off season and their coaches and telling them every single day what to do. Mm. And they don't realize while they're actually at practice, pay attention to those things that coach is talking about, because when you're on your own, you can utilize that. And then when you also at practice, how can you utilize those specific things and other areas of your life? So like, I'll give you an example right here. When I started doing all this kind of practice, I noticed that anything that anybody said, a TV show, I was watching a movie, I kind of connected it to some part of my life. Doesn't mean that I necessarily used it at that point in time, but I'm like, huh, I thought this at one point in time. And um, I kind of, 
feel like I should think a little bit more about it, even though it happened three, four years ago. You know, there's a lot of demons that are packed down that we kind of forgot about. And when we aren't aware of it and something happens and we react a certain way, we don't know why it's because that demon was stomped on for so long. And you're not accepting that this is your demon that you have to kind of, you know, maintain and manage. Like that's something a lot of people don't realize, like you can't just throw them to the curb. You have to manage those demons so you can possibly toss them away eventually and uh, move forward from there. So self-awareness I'll say is like a big, big factor that I work on. But like I said, it's, it's all over the place. Yeah. And I totally understand that. It was kind of a hard question to answer. Um, are you comfortable asking this? So why are, why, why is it important that you race? Like why, why are you doing this? It's a big part of me. <laughs> like, um, the, I always tell people that my mom tells me I ran out of her womb because I was just the most active kind of person in the world. Yeah. It's a little much to say it like that, but it's true. Like I was just running around all the time and it's just a massive part of my life because whenever I was younger, you know, how everyone's like, Oh, what do you want to be when you grow up? And it's like an astronaut, a firefighter and this Mm -hmm. and that. And I told everyone I wanted to be a professional basketball player. And Oh yeah. 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 And I was, I think fourth, fifth grade when that happened. And my teacher was like, you need to pick something else. I'm like, why do I have to pick something else? He's like, that's not, that's not like a real career, but in my eyes, it was a real career. And unfortunately with basketball, it just wasn't my niche when it came to being a professional. If I wanted to play D1, I had to change my position. And that was something that I wasn't willing to do just because if you saw my shot, honestly, like my three point shot is like, like horrendous. Like my, my, my friends laugh at me all the time about like, why are you trying to shoot? I'm like, I'm more of a layup type of girl. I'm aggressive right. under the basket. I was, um, I was a center. So like right. I was saying, I was, I was a bigger kind of, um, athlete at that point in time. And I was just a power kind of person. Um, Ooh, I kind of lost my train of thought on that. What was, um, Oh, the racing, the racing. Yeah. Thank you. I yeah. I like, <laughs> I like where you're, I like where you're going with this. So this is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So whenever, um, so whenever basketball ended for me, I think a lot of athletes have that whole, my performance was my identity. And that is, uh, that's a, that's a big one. I also work with. So performance and identification of that is a massive one where athletes can't separate themselves from it and if they have a bad performance sometimes they think that they're not a good enough athlete they start to um, question their choices and stuff like that and so after my basketball career happened it's not like I was defined by my performance, but definitely a part of me was lost and I didn't really know what to do about it. And I really think that's why I decided to go work into a gym because when I, um, I worked in the gym that I used to train at whenever I was in high school. So my old coach used to be, became my boss and he taught me a lot through the process of just how to exercise properly. And once again, I, I trained my whole entire life. I lifted, I ran, but I still did not realize this is what I have to do when I'm on my own. You know, like that was a big, big factor. So I started to learn and understand all these things that were kind of on, on, on me. And I realized like, no one can tell me to do these certain things. If I want to stay the fit kind of person that I am, this is the direction I have to go. 
And um, I also brought up the whole um, injuries and the Crohn's disease as well. Mm -hmm. I noticed that when I sit around and I'm not really moving a lot, my back locks up, my knees lock up, my stomach is just, my intestines are all smashed together. So I have noticed that sitting at a computer more than less is I'm just not comfortable. And my mm. body's just, is like, what are you doing? This is not what you're used to. So like, I think it's a mental thing. And also my body's just like, this is not who you are. And right. that's why when I go out and race, it's very important to me. It's like, if I have to work a venue and I don't race, it's not going to be at the end of the world, but it's really cool meeting people out there. And then when they see you at the tent, they're like, wait, did I pass you? I'm like, yeah, and we'll, yeah. Like, we'll be talking. I'm like, I didn't know you did some these races before because there is still a lot of people that passed and are like, oh, have you done one of these? And I like look at my watch and I'm like, um, I, I finished like an hour ago. Like, yeah. <laughs> you, you want to go check my time? And because it's that arrogance of like, oh, if you do this kind of practice, you should also um, um, if you preach, it, you have to practice it. And right. It's not necessary, but it's just something that I feel like it's a big value and moral that I've always kind of had. Gotcha. So you would be doing it anyway. Clearly, you, you've you identified as someone that loves to be free and run and be fit and active, regardless of if you got into mental performance coaching. Correct. Yeah. yeah, that's, yeah. That seems pretty evident to me for sure. Um, back to Back to that fourth or fifth grade when your teacher asked you what you want to be and you said a professional basketball player. In that moment, or maybe from now reflecting back on that, because I'm sure you've thought about that a lot, do you feel like the way the teacher corrected you, do you feel like that was um, motivating for you? Or do you feel like it was something that truly sort of suppressed your or oppressed your thoughts? That's a good question. Um, definitely a completely different person now than I was back then. So I probably feel like it was kind of devastating hearing that, but I, I could feel that it still didn't stop me from still believing that because like, that was kind of my intentions while I was going to college. Like I really wanted to play basketball. So if, if I wasn't going to that school to get an education and play basketball, like I really didn't want to go there. So at the time I could say that it was definitely a thought where hmm, maybe I do have to do a bit more, but it probably didn't dawn on me just then. Like I, I was a kind of oblivious kind of kid as well, where like, even if something was happening in front of me and it should have affected me it, over my head, man, like I, I'm not kidding you. So like, I think that's why I also really like to practice self-awareness because I feel like there's a lot of things that I could have helped myself with while mm -hmm. I was growing up and I didn't realize it and, and like something like that if I was completely devastated um maybe I would have learned how to figure out how to do that um you know not let him affect whatever his words were weren't going to affect me so right I feel like yes feel like no it, it was a long time ago so I'm not sure yeah. yeah I and the reason I bring that up is because you know you and I are in a coaching role and whether we're a coach or you know you're a teacher or we have a lot of responsibility with, you know, people are in a vulnerable state when we're coaching them or teaching them. Yeah. And I just, you know, I hear a lot of, I mean, the, the sexy stuff I think to research for me is like looking at people that are absolutely exceptional at what they've done, like take a Michael Jordan and then like, cool, what was his upbringing like? And it wasn't everyone supporting him, like being like, no, no, you can do it. It was like, 
a decent amount of people being like, no, man, you're not, you can't do it. And I kind of wonder where for you too, not to compare yourself to, not to compare you to Michael Jordan, but in the upbringing, because I think, you know, certain people probably respond well to that over a long, you know, tell people they can't do it and watch them do it kind of thing versus like, no, that person needs support or they will not do it. So I'm glad that you explained that a little bit more because like the whole, um, whenever I was that young, that moment in time definitely didn't destroy me. But while I was going through my injuries, a hundred percent, it was just Mm. like, is this, is this for me? And I remember when I first tore my ACL, I told myself if I ever tear my ACL again, I'm never going to play. And then Mm. I tear my ACL again. And I'm like, I can't quit, you know, like back in the day, like I told myself that, but definitely from going through all this type of stuff and um, this kind of pain and chronic pain, like ACLs, they really do suck. Like anybody that tore their ACL, it's not a fun time. Um, My biggest, my biggest loops are my back because my back is, you know, the center of my core my back hurts like every single day. And that's something where like, I will be in a basketball game. And if somebody's pushing on my back too much, my back is sore or that bridge Columbia kind of race, it's all inclining. So eventually when I'm sitting in the saddle of power hiking for that long, my back is sore. So definitely going through that kind of suffering is just like, why am I doing this? Why am I putting myself through this pain? Like, am I even good enough to be that kind of pro athlete that I've been wanting to do? So I feel like it was more about um, my body telling me I can't versus other people telling me that I couldn't because when it came to my, um, at least my athletic career, no one has ever like told me like, you shouldn't do this other than some doctors, you know how they are. They they give their opinions. (laughs) Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, but when it came to actually this business, like people aren't really nice about whenever you're trying to get your feet and, you know, your toes in the water or anything like that. And I was actually talking to one of my um, colleagues and she is, um, I think she's a clinical sports psychologist, but she also has the CMPC that I have. And since she's in that middle ground, she actually notices it, um, a lot more than most people. She's like, I used to go to school with this one guy and he is um, the chair of the association. So whenever you go to those big conferences, like she's just talking to an old college buddy and people push her out of the way because everyone wants to be friends with him because he's the big top dog, you know, like, so whenever I told, I tell people that I do, when I say I'm a mental performance consultant, right away, they're like, if you're a consultant, like you can't do this work. I'm like, it's literally a, it's a, it's a cert, it's a certification. Like, I don't know why you think I'm not qualified for this stuff. And it's because I'm not, I don't have a PhD or a clin. I'm not licensed clinical psychologist that sometimes that feels like, why am I doing this work? And I actually, when I was mm. talking to that colleague, a lot of this work is also mental training. And that's something that I had to really do. And actually I compared my way of being able to pick myself up when it came to my athletic career with building this business, because um, with my athletic career, when I feel sore and tired and just so lethargic, I'm like, cool, I, I did something. I'm working, I'm improving. But right once I get bad news or like, let's say I, I get a client, but you know, they ghost me or something, right. I'm not good enough for this. I, 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 I shouldn't be doing this kind of work. And when I talk to my colleague, she's like, huh, 
like how about we feel like when somebody is giving you that bad news or you feel like your emotions were hurt let's make it feel like we're getting sore and we're improving for our next step and that was such a mindset mindset shift that I really needed just because like this kind of work of like, cause I, I kind of told you the whole athletic world has been in my life forever where this, mm. I don't, I don't want to say it's like brand, brand new, but compared to my athletic career. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So that's something where I didn't have as much confidence in it because of those um specific things that you just, you hear so many people and you just, you get in your head and the emotions of the stigma of people not wanting to do this. It, it just puts a large toll on you that, yeah, you got to do your own mental training on yourself. Yeah, I could totally see that. And I, uh, I appreciate you being so vulnerable in that. I, I love that we can, as coaches, this is one thing I love about this podcast is that, or just podcasts in general is that we can, we can both be coaches and not be competing and just be, you know, serving kind of the, uh, the greater purpose of helping other people in whatever ways that we are able to, yeah. and we don't have to be perfect. Um, that's, uh, it, it sounded like it sounded like imposter syndrome, maybe at, at yeah. an extent there. And I can relate to that. It, it sort of peaks and valleys. Um, but that that's a really interesting kind of mindset shift. As you said, think of it as the soreness, something that you're already familiar with, mm-hmm. something that you already understand the kind of discomfort or the suffering in and relate it to that. That's, that's really cool. Yeah. That's definitely something I was comfortable with and I was trying to make something uncomfortable in that comfort zone and it, it definitely worked for me yeah that's awesome um listen i i think yeah i you've been really really interesting to talk about uh talk to and and uh to hear about your story and i appreciate your time on here yeah well i'm glad that you came to the tent i apologize i wasn't there but i think it was for good reason <laughs> yeah it's all good 